0: Blog Talk Radio Ten,
1: nine, eight, seven.
2: Minions and welcome aboard to another episode of The Balance. My name is Tom Marcos El Presidente for the next two hours. You will pay homage to me because I am on loan from God to walk you through this crazy world of sports. 917-889-8516 is our digits. Got a packed show for you. Matthew Embry, uh, our official IndyCar contributor and going to talk some college football with us. Uh. From uh, up at WSBT in South Bend. I was going to talk some South Bend. Uh, I mean, some uh, a little bit of high school football here in Indiana. And uh, some Notre Dame and funny season. So we'll get all of that uh, taken care of. Uh, coming up here in the next few moments. And then Tony Donahue of the Tony D Podcast. Awesome podcast. Go check that out. He's going to be joining us talking some NASCAR. A little bit of college football sprinkled in there as well. And then uh, Adam Jimedin, super uh, Ohio State, Cleveland Browns, anything to do with Ohio uh, fans, joins us to talk some college football. And the Ohio State Buckeyes, where they at and what they doing. And then 1030, or wherever your time zone is, our last segment, Ed Kratz, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles and our official Uh, NFL contributor, and and with SI.com joins us to break down this weekend. NFL, big week on docket, especially for us homer cards. The uh, Indianapolis Colts uh, bring into town the Houston Texans. Got to be a big win for either team, but we need it here in Indianapolis. I'll be at that game. Pretty exciting. Also, Mo from the BS Sports Show. Uh, joins us as well. My name is Tom Marquis, L. Presidente, 917-889-8516. We'll be right back right after this.
1: Tonight.
3: Double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive-through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure.
4: The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom.
0: When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like, Swedish techno confusing.
5: Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Oh, Ooh, you lovely cow. Mm.
0: Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike... You know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early nineties heavy metal hard.
6: I'm yelling!
0: Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives?
2: All right, and welcome back to the balance. Time to get things kicked off. Nine one seven eighty nine eight five one six of my digits joining us now from WSBT up in South Bend, our official IndyCar contributor, Notre Dame extraordinaire uh, from the flagship station up there in Notre Dame.
7: Matthew Embry, Matthew, how are you? Happy Saturday to you. Well, it's going to be very interesting. Uh, Close to home here, we got the South Bend Adams uh, Girls Soccer 3A Regionals. Uh, Good chance we could have a battle between Penn and South Bend St. Joe, both in Class 3A. And uh, two teams that uh, we could very well see uh, at Fishers High School uh, for the state championships in a couple weeks.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I know uh, – play the Homer card here with some high school football. I know we got some news uh, with some contracts working out and things real quickly, bring us up to speed, some high school football. Well, let's jump into some uh, funny season and then go into the Notre Dame thing. Uh, Matthew, but what's going on here, Homer card here in the state of Indiana? Play Bob uh,
7: level for us. Yeah, they haven't been on another planet. Uh, the bad news, the good news is uh, we had the backyard ball, Penn and Meshawaka, uh, Penn held on to win 21-13 uh, against Mishawaka Steel Stadium. The bad news is, uh, with Mishawaka joining the Northern Lakes Conference uh, next year instead of the NIC, uh, there has been no contract, and it looks like at least through 2024 there will be no backyard brawl between two of the Northern Indiana's top teams in Penn and Mishawaka, which i got to say is very disappointing. But again, with this uh, contract laid in, uh, wanting to meet the contracts thing, unfortunately uh, Penn has ties to matchups between traditional matchup against Valparaiso, and then they have a five, a three-year deal on a five-year contract with LaPorte. So, unfortunately with now the teams in two different conferences, it could be a while before we see them ever playing on a football field, especially considering they're also, you got Penn in 6A, Mishawaka in 5A. So, unfortunately one of the longtime rivalries here in northern indiana i think it's going to be dormant for at least five years if not longer yeah it's been pretty big news here in indianapolis
2: as well uh it's always a shame when you see the rivalries uh break up let's go into some indycar fuddy season not a lot to talk about right now uh but we do have a little bit of news into the indycar fuddy season what say you sir
7: well, it looks like it's sports car racing right now. Uh, Corvette racing is severing ties with the Magnus, and uh, we're hearing uh, this father of uh, F1 driver Kevin. uh looks like he's got to peel back his interest in competition next year. Uh, of course, Corvette bringing out the brand-new C8R, the mid-engined 5.5-liter uh, V8, and it uh, looks like uh, the stage is set for Jordan Taylor, uh, even though uh, his father Wayne says that he has a contract with Wayne Taylor Racing, it looks like uh, Jordan Taylor is going to ret- join with Antonio Garcia in the primary entry. Uh, Jordan Taylor does have ties to Corvette Racing, having driven a couple 24 hours Lamas with them uh, in the 2010s decade. So uh, you're going to have a situation where you had two sons driving for dad uh, with Wayne Taylor Racing at the start of the decade, and now you're going to have the end of the decade and the start of a new one where there's going to be no suns driving for them uh, with Ricky already driving uh, with team Penske. And now looks like Jordan Taylor, I uh, headed to team Corvette uh, for 2020.
2: Well, let's talk a little bit about it, and I know we've talked about it before, but certainly it's going to be a, a huge part of the 2020 season. It's going to be a new look and feel. I like to joke and say that the IndyCars has turned into the Popemobile, but it's very well needed. I'm so excited uh, to see this new aero screen. Uh, but what are your thoughts? Uh, certainly they did some testing, uh, and, and uh, we would say passed the test with remarkable numbers uh, out at Richmond uh, this time a few days ago. But the new aero screen, uh, in IndyCar, very welcome addition uh, to the safety of IndyCar and very,
7: uh, very well needed uh, as well. Well, I think the thing that's going to make fans happier and more excited, maybe to come to time trials uh, coming up for the month of May, is I think it's not only a safer car, but it's going to be a faster car. I think uh, you could be talking where we have, I talked about it a couple of years ago, thinking maybe we'd have a full field over 230. Uh, 2020 just might be the year that uh, 230 is the speed it takes to get into the show. Is it is it too
2: soon to start our countdown clock for the uh, 2020 Indianapolis 500? It never is, Tom. So
1: <laughs>
2: it never is. It never is. You know, uh, talking about the, the, the arrow, arrow screen, I mean, I, I think – I think it does. I mean, let me ask you this. Does the aero screen affect drag and, and top speeds? I think it does. Will Power, Scott Dixon posted laps in excess of 225 miles an hour in the initial on-track test here at IMS uh, on October 2nd, uh, but did not notice any major differences. Uh, both uh, says that it's uh, close to neutral. So what are your thoughts on that? How is it going to affect the, the drags and the, and the speeds on that there?
7: I think it will limit drag because you have that little – pocket around the helmet area of the car that seems to be the area where it's l- the least most unstable now putting that windscreen around there i think it's going to move the air over a lot easier and a lot more effectively and i think that's going to make the car much faster especially in a straight line and i think it's going to handle better in the corners because of that well you know uh, I, I i squash a rumor
2: here i know that a lot of people have thought that the air will screen uh would only be used exclusively in ovals. That's not the case. It will also be used in the road courses. Am I correct on that?
7: Yeah, they did a rain, wet weather test on that. They had no concerns of fogging up or anything like that, so it looks like it's good to go uh, for the road courses as well. Well you
2: you talked about fogging up and I think that's one of the biggest things that a lot of fans and probably even IndyCar is is the driver visibility affected at all I mean and first of all what about on the baking on the ovals how's that going to affect things
7: Looks like the vision's not an issue and yes they did do a wet weather test at uh, Barber Motorsports Park with this and Ryan Hunter-Ray gave it the thumbs up so I'd say based on that uh I think this is going to be across the board. We're going to see this at every race uh, in 2020, not just the high-speed ovals.
2: Well, I think also uh, it's important to point out that they've got the tear-off uh, because, it, let, let's face it, they're going 200 miles an hour around the track close to the ground. And it's going to get dirty. They're going to have the tear-off very much similar to, like, NASCAR. Is that correct?
7: I believe so. I don't know about the, information, the actual information on that, but it would make sense if they did.
2: She said they did the wet weather test, so one could assume that we know that 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 it passed that test. So when
7: it rains, it just kind of like rolls off uh, the the screen? Pretty much, it looks like. I think they have found a thing where it's not going to fog. Uh, red give a lot of credit credit to uh, Red Bull Technologies, and add to that, uh, I think uh, it makes F1 look bad because this was one I think that doesn't have the bar in front, so the vision's not nearly as affected as having the bar in front of the driver's face like with the F1 cars.
2: Well, we'll certainly see how things come in the future. and It's a, it's a work in progress. Uh, but do we do we expect some
7: refining of the aero screen throughout the next few years? I would think so to make it more aerodynamic and uh, more streamlined if possible. I think it's already there right now, but I think to make it a little bit where it breaks the wind a little bit better, I think might be one of the things they work on, I would think.
2: One of the biggest questions that I would think, because even though it's it's there for safety, we're still going to see some pretty serious accidents. And I'm wondering, and I'm concerned about, especially when we go back and we think about what happened with Hinchcliffe and other drivers, is this aero screen going to hinder uh, the, the safety crew in, extra, in extraction of the driver if needed?
7: I would assume it's going to be detachable if they have to. There's going to be a couple of clashes. All they can do is then just rip it off and then get right to the driver. I'm assuming that's how it's set up.
2: Well, real quickly, tell us what is the next step in the testing, the final testing of the arrow screen. We'll get into some Notre Dame football.
7: Uh, I'm not sure when that's going to be. I'm assuming it's going to be after the first of the year because right now it's getting too cold to test the tracks. And obviously with winter getting close, I'd say after the first of the year and probably at Sebring is we're going to start seeing this uh, put into its final uh, paces and where, you know, the cars are actually going to have it uh, across the board. Well, it's certainly
2: the drivers seem to think that, that it is, it's, it's a good addition. And, and uh, I just, I'm, I'm glad to see that it's there. And I'm excited to see it here at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Great way coming off of USC, Notre Dame fighting Irish man. Guys are still in the playoff talk. Give us a recap what's going on with the Notre Dame fighting Irish.
7: They won, but the problem is they didn't win convincingly. And I think uh, USC definitely exposed some holes in that Notre Dame defense. Uh, the inability for Notre Dame to stop USC and where the offense had to get some scoring and get some job done just to hold that game off. Uh, I think that is certainly a concern for Notre Dame Nation, at least it is for me. And uh, looking ahead to a Michigan team that's looking for any kind of uh, momentum, Uh, they can get their running game going and get some breaks for Shea Patterson. I think they could give this Michigan or Notre Dame defense some problems at the big house next weekend.
2: Well, I tell you what, I am a – even more so now since I've been up there to Notre Dame, a big Notre Dame fan, but I am a uh, non-rooter for – the Michigan Wolverines. And I think that Jim Harbaugh is, even though he's managed to put some wins together, I I, I say this all the time that he's on the hot seat, but
7: Notre Dame has got to get a big win. Yeah. The a, the... yeah, they went to Michigan. Go ahead. I, you cut out there, buddy. Yeah. Unfortunately uh, I'm in the same boats as my sister and brother-in-law went to Michigan. So I get the hate uh, for this one all the time. <laughs> well, it's
2: coming up on the 26th. That's next Saturday, three days after the day of my birth. Uh, but uh, Notre Dame and Michigan, uh, what what are they working on here in the bye week? What are some of the things that they got to get together? And really, let's talk about it seriously. A good win for them to get uh, with USC. But I, I tell you what, if Michigan finds a way to beat Notre Dame, you talk about momentum going into high gear.
7: There you go right there. Well, I think even with the game, I think if Notre Dame wants to make the postseason, they're going to need to not only win games, they need to win games convincingly. Because you look at the rest of the schedule, other than maybe the Michigan game, there isn't a game out there where I think if they can win close, it would help them. Uh, There just is not a strong opponent left on that schedule that says that's a convincing win right there. So they're not only going to have to win games, but I think they're going to have to win with, via the, that thing we call style points. And they need, and that probably means they need to get their offensive going. And uh, hopefully by this point next week, they will have a 100% uh, Jafar Armstrong running back because that's one position where if they can get their running game going, that can take some pressure off of what I would say is a struggling Ian Book right now. You you, meant, you nailed that on the head. And, and How concerned are
2: we about Ian Book and his – is somewhat seems to be regular struggles.
7: Not to the point yet where we say filter COVID, uh, not to that point yet where you go for Dracovic. because Jacob, I think has the same kind of flaws right now, at least in the limited play I've seen again with him, that Ian book has. So I don't think changing quarterbacks going to fix the problem. Uh, the line play, I think looked a little suspect a couple, a few weeks as well. That's going to have to work on. And then uh, I think, uh, You need to see a little bit more from uh, Chase Claypool and the rest of that offense, that that wide receiving core, Uh, Michael Young, Chris Fink. uh, They've had a few problems with drop balls and a few other things. So uh, it's not just the in-book. I think just across the board, the offense needs to improve. Unfortunately, the way we look at things now, we always put the sole blame on the quarterback, but I don't think necessarily the issue is with the in-book. I think it's just across the board. Line play's got to be better. Receiver play's got to be better. And they've got to get uh, Jafar Armstrong healthy. Well,
2: us so kind of just bounce around the college football arena uh, in the last few minutes that we've got you here, and then uh, Tony Donahue of the Tony D Podcast. good Joyce. We're talking some NASCAR a little bit, of college football as well, and then we'll get into our regular college football segment in the next hour. But big loss Georgia had last week, uh, and I tell you what, to be honest with you, I think they play South Carolina this week.
7: I think they could get two losses in a row. That loss really, I think, hurt Notre Dame's resume. I think if that game was at South Carolina, it would have looked not nearly as bad. But the fact for Georgia to lose a game like that at home, at the between the hedges, I think really hurts Notre Dame's case. And even if Notre Dame were to win out, having that loss uh, for Georgia losing to an opponent like South Carolina hurt, certainly hurts Georgia's uh Situation. I think, in fact, I don't believe even Georgia was in the top ten of the polls this week. So uh, I think that says a lot right now of how they view Georgia at this point. And uh, that's certainly losing to Georgia, even though that was supposedly a big game on paper. Uh, the committee, I don't think, is going to look at it uh, as a good loss anymore if Georgia continues to struggle. Well,
2: I'll tell you what, Clemson's got a, a good game. Also on, on tap this week, beating up uh, up Florida State at Clemson was not really a huge accomplishment uh, for the Tigers, but they need to make a statement this week in week eight. In fact, in just the last couple of weeks, Clemson has fallen from number one to number three, as voters clearly see uh, their week schedule as a deterrent uh, hitting the road uh, for a conference battle against a suddenly exciting Louisville team. What are your thoughts?
7: Well, it's not good for them when you have a situation where the best team besides you in the ACC right now, I think, is probably Wake Forest. And Wake Forest is coming off a loss of their own last week. Uh, So there just isn't a lot of firepower in the ACC. That's not a bad thing. I don't think that's going to affect them when they get to the college football playoff. But, uh, yeah, if you're playing against teams that have similar records and if they fall to 11-1, say – that certainly is going to hurt their case just as much as it's going to hurt Notre Dame's case.
2: Real quickly, let's make a summation of this week, week eight coming into college football. Uh, what are some of the big matchups that you're looking at? And what are we looking at certainly in the bye week for with Notre
7: Dame? Well, obviously the Michigan Penn State game, I think is going to say a lot. Uh, Michigan's one of the few opponents. Notre Dame does not get off of a bye. And uh, I'd say right now, if Michigan strolls against Penn State, I think that's going to raise the – you know, the favoritism for Notre Dame and uh, not to, you know, like two or three touchdowns like that favoritism, but I'd say at least uh, a 10-point favorite. I would say, for Notre Dame over Michigan if Michigan has problems against Penn State and loses that game or they absolutely get trounced by a Penn State team. I think that is uh, prime for a breakthrough. Well, we'll certainly uh, see, see what happens.
2: As we look through uh, the college football arena, you got the Pac-12, you got the Big Ten. A lot of big uh, stories happening in the Big Ten. And I know that, that uh, we both live in the heart of Big Ten, and IU's got Maryland this week. So what are your thoughts And as we look at the Big Ten going into Week 8?
7: Well, well, Ohio State, I think, is clearly the top team. I think if you had seen uh, last night's game where they absolutely blew away Northwestern, I think that just verifies that even more. Um And at this point, uh, Tom, unless it's Penn State, I just don't see another team that can really give them a run for their money uh, looking ahead to the Big Ten Championship, with maybe the exception being the Wisconsin Badgers. Well, we'll see what happens as we get
2: ready to go into our NASCAR segment. Uh, NASCAR is pretty much the only racing segment left, and they've got a few more weeks left on their docket as they get ready for Homestead. Uh, What are your thoughts peeking into NASCAR?
7: I think you, know, you look at uh, – actually, I want to talk about the ARCA race last night. Sure, I go ahead. Right uh, talk right about in. the performances there. Uh, if you were thinking uh, breakthrough uh, for Haley Deegan, I think Haley Deegan was a disappointment last night. I think she is still at least two or three years away from those that say within two years she could be in Monster Energy Cup. I just don't see that right now. I think she's got a lot of learning to do, especially on the big tracks. I think we saw that uh, at Kansas. She looked lost uh, last night. And uh, you look at some of the other uh, candidates, I think there's some other ones out there. Sheldon Creed, I think, is going to get a few calls here down the road. And uh, there's a few other, I think, interesting prospects. But I think the thing that's hurting ARCA right now is car count. I think they only had 20 cars show up for Kansas. So uh, I'd say right now, if you're talking about struggling series, uh, ARCA certainly comes to mind right now.
2: Well, you know, you talk about ARCA. We don't get a chance to talk a lot about them, but you're right. You're, you're right. They are kind of a, a struggling series. What, what do we attribute to that,
7: or what do we contribute to that? Well, the thing is, when you have all these wreck fest the Daytona, they have. I think that's a deterrent to encouraging people to show up. And add to that, they just don't get the fanfare that they used to. I mean, yeah, I mean, they had the their claim to fame is the only stock car circuit that runs on dirt tracks, but. Uh, When you don't have the fanfare of some of these other series, uh, it really doesn't help. I mean, besides the events that are tied to the NASCAR events, they really get no fanfare at all. Right, absolutely.
2: Matthew Embry, WSVT up with South Bend, our official IndyCar contributor, talking some Notre Dame uh, uh, football with us uh, in you know, just kind of playing the overall homework card there. I'm going to have you put your Bob Lovell card back on as we walk through the state. We get ready for the uh, the uh, um, sectionals and and playoffs, as as we know coming up in the state here. Uh, what are your thoughts going across the state of Indiana in high school
7: football? Well, I'd say 3A right now, I think it's the most uh, cut-and-dry one right now. I think Chittard's the team to beat there. I think their performance list past weekend, I think, just verified that even more. Uh, I'd be very stunned if Chattard fell. Um, you look at some of the other divisions, uh, 6A, obviously. Could it be Avon Gier? I mean, they've ended the season uh, undefeated. Uh, another win against, uh, I'd, say, I'd say not a great, but a decent Noblesville team this past weekend. So uh, the question is, can the Orioles do something? And that, obviously, that would be big because it would be the first time, I'd say, in several years that a team not in the Metropolitan Scholastic High School Association has uh, won a state championship in the top classification. So it's to see what Avon does. Obviously, they have uh, some Notre Dame ties with their offensive linemen committed to Notre Dame. And uh, then you look a uh, step down 5A. Uh, there's some possibilities there as well, I'd say, with a few teams in there. Obviously, Cathedral comes to mind, New Powell. And uh, then looking further down, Mishawaka, uh In four, uh, some of these other teams, I think, unfortunately, Northern Indiana, unless you're talking New Prairie and Foray, I I don't think it's really a Northern Indiana team that I think is a shoe-in to possibly win a state title, unless maybe you're talking someone like an East Noble maybe. Uh, and then I'd say uh, 2A, that battle between Cass and Pioneer in the first round next week, I think it's going to say a lot. That could be your state championship game, and that's in the only the first round of the tournament uh, between the Kings and uh, Pioneer. That's going to be a hell of a battle. And then uh, in A, I think a lot of people like Indy Lutheran, but I would not uh, go against Lafayette Central Catholic. There's a reason this school has won five state championships this decade in A. They're back in a this year, and I would not be surprised if they take uh, make it six here in a very recent uh, period of time. Talking with Matthew Embry from WSBT up in
2: South Bend, real quickly, Matthew, let's uh, talk a little bit of big national news. The NBA's kind of got themselves in a pickle. I've been trying to get people's opinions and thoughts, as and they vary across the board. Uh, but what are your thoughts about LeBron James just adding fuel to the
7: fire in this issue with uh, China and the NBA? As far as I'm concerned, China's the one to blame. Because beyond Yao Ming, how many Chinese players have been to the NBA, Tom? Nobody. So, NBA has nothing to gain by, you know, putting a feather in China's cap right now. So, I'd say, if anything, China needs to be a little more respectful and cognizant of what the NBA provides them Instead of trying to lord it over the NBA when they have absolutely no talent in the National Basketball Association. So I think it's shame on China for trying to throw their weight around when they have nothing to offer the NBA right now in terms of players or interest.
2: Well, absolutely. Well, we've been talking with Matthew Embry, our, our official IndyCar contributor, uh, talking a little bit about the aero, new aero screen and, of course, of Notre Dame the Fighting Irish because you're based there at the flagship station, WSBT. Uh, Matthew, we appreciate you joining it's Where can people find your work and Masterpieces?
7: M-A-T-T-E-M-B-U-R-Y. And my big event, we talked about uh, the stuff going on at South Bend Islands, but also the classic Tetris World Championship gets underway at 1 p.m. qualifying. We could see some astronomical scores uh, as uh, a lot of new talent is joining in the field this year, especially from outside the United States. We could have our first non-American winner to raise the World Championship tee uh, on Sunday night. It could be a very interesting tournament over in Portland.
2: All right. We'll we'll be following that. Matthew, thank you for joining us. Have yourself a good weekend. We'll be uh, looking forward to following your work.
7: Anytime, Tom, and go Irish.
2: Yes, sir. Matthew Embry, WSBT up at South Bend, joins us to kind of sprinkle some stuff on the donuts, if you will, this morning. My name is Tom Marcusell, President 8917898516 is our digits Standing by in the Balance Green Room is Tony Donahue of the Tony D Podcast. We're going to be talking some NASCAR as we get ready for Homestead, getting the playoffs underway. Also, a little bit more college football right around the corner up next right here on the Balance Radio Network.
4: The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom.
3: It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure.
1: All right, welcome back to The
2: Ballast. My name is Tom Mark President President Thank you to Matthew Embry, WSVT up in South Bend, our official IndyCar contributor, talking some IndyCar with us in Notre Dame Fighting Irish as he's embedded in the flagship station of the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Joining us now, Tony Donahue of the Tony D Podcast. Tony, how is you, sir? Hey, man, how's it going? Rocking and rolling, man. We're ready to... What do they say cash checks and breaks them necks. I guess that's what they say. Uh, I don't know who says that, well, there but you I heard go. that somewhere somewhere uh, along the way. Uh, well, quickly, let's get your thoughts before we get into some NASCAR talk and some other talk. We were talking about the new aero screen with, with IndyCar. I know you're very familiar with IndyCar and follow up very well here in Indianapolis. Uh, what are your thoughts about the new aero screen and maybe some questions and
8: thoughts that you may have on that, concerns or whatever? Yeah, I mean there's still – Obviously, testing going on right now, there's only two screens that are made. So the one that, that Ganassi used was then was given to Andretti for that test and back to Kenassi. Um It seems to be some positive feedback. Um, it kind of reminds you, if you go back and look at some of the cars in the 80s, you know, in the late 70s, if you look at Janet Guthrie's car when she qualified for the first 577, it kind of got almost like a similar look. Um, this one, obviously, is a little bit more aerodynamic. This one's a little bit more... Has a lot more technology behind it, so um, I, we'll get used to it as fans. Um, it's it's a weird look right now, especially from the side, but we'll get used to it as 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 we have with every other innovation that they've had. As long as the drivers can see and there's no, you know, blind spots, that I think that I think it'll be all good. I mean, I think anytime you're trying to protect and save the life of a driver um, is 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 always good in the fans' minds.
2: Well, you know, absolutely, and I, and I think it's a welcome addition, even if it does look like they're driving around in the mobile at 200 miles an hour. You know, I, I think some of my concerns are, are the vision obstruction, the rain, uh, you know, the banking in the ovals. But, you know, from everything that I'm hearing from the drivers and the things that I'm hearing in, in stories that are coming out – that, that they're passing these tests uh, right and left. and uh, I, They've got a couple more tests left, and they just did a, a, a test out in Richmond, which is a huge test for them because, remember, IndyCar's coming back to Richmond, so it was important that they do some testing there. And, and th- they passed for flying callers to both Richmond and Indianapolis. So, I mean, I, and they did a, they did a uh, uh, wet weather test as well. I think that was another concern if the rain, and I, I know it's got to tear off like much like we're familiar with NASCAR. So it looks like this is finally, they've got this nailed down. Obviously it's a work in progress, but uh, is there anything that you think that needs to be addressed immediately that maybe you're seeing now the testing that, that could be an immediate concern coming up for the 2020 season?
8: Well, it'd be interesting to see if they allow another, uh, another pit crew member over the wall to, to rip off that tear off, because one tear off comes from the middle towards the left side of the car and the other one gets to tear off and goes to the opposite side of the car. So it'll be easy if they allow um, another crewman over the wall or if they don't, uh, how the strategy works where maybe, you know, the guy with the air jack maybe hops back over the wall and then run, you know, somebody hops over to rip off the tear-offs because you don't want anybody to go around the car any more than you have to, uh, you know, on the right side like Indianapolis, and then that kind of puts you in danger with, with you know, being open and being right there where the pit road is. So we'll see if they allow that. It looks like there's a defroster on it as well. It seems like uh, to get a little heat in that so that when the rain does go ahead and dry off. So it'll be interesting to see if they allow an extra recruitment over the wall to be able to rip off that tear-off.
2: Talking with Tony Johnah, of the Tony D podcast. Let's jump into some uh, NASCAR last week. What a what a race out in Dega! Never disappointing in Dega, Talladega. Man, uh, you always know you're going to see the big one there in uh, Bristol and others. You know you're going to see the big one, and we saw the big one of mega proportions last week at Talladega. Man, what a scary and exciting! And an exhilarating wreck to watch all at the same time. So glad nobody came out of that mess hurt.
8: Yeah, no. And you kind of knew that with the race being delayed until Monday, that it was going to ramp up a little bit more. They're going to be a little bit more anxious. And I think the only driver that probably slept Sunday night going into Monday was Kyle Larson because they already had that win. Um, and then a lot of different drivers are having great days. They're up towards the front. We saw Kurt Busch lead some laps. Uh, we saw. Uh, ricky stenhouse jr was having a good run and then um you know logano bowman all these guys were having good runs before being taken out in wrecks and it was uh, it was a demolition derby it was a crash faster so brandon brandon gone go over the top which was interesting and i thought his posts for his comments were hilarious just because he said you know hey i'm fine i'd rather do that than you know 200 miles an hour into a wall so um but good for ryan blaney to get that win there at the at the end edging out ryan newman because uh you know they both needed a win. blink you know, eligible still in the playoffs, punches his ticket to the next round. Uh, Ryan Newman having an up and down season was trying to prove that he can get that sixth car back in the victory circle. So, um, once yeah, once it got, once it wasn't chaotic and once the crashes stopped, uh, it was a pretty good race to finish.
2: We'll get into the uh, playoffs here in just a second, but let's talk about Kansas. Kansas this weekend, uh, some good practice results. Uh, what are your thoughts looking into Kansas?
8: Yeah, we know we'll see. We saw uh we saw when win there back in May and he hasn't won a race since and then yesterday in practice he goes off first. Uh he had the fastest laps and a lot of forwards it seems like up front with uh Rollins Suarez for in your top three. Uh we'll see. It's another cookie cutter track. There might be a few mileage card play. It just seems like guys like Kevin Harvick, Martin Trick Junior, Brad Keselowski always come out to play at these uh one and a half mile cookie cutter ovals.
2: As, let's look into also to the Xfinity race uh, coming up here today at three o'clock. Still waiting for this final starting lineup to to post here. Uh, but as we look into the Xfinity race at Kansas,
8: what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think it's Cole Custer's race to win or lose. You know, he's so good at, at these tracks, and it seems like Ford has has been the team to beat both in the Cup Series and Xfinity on these on these uh, one and a half mile races. But obviously, you can never count out Christopher Bell, Justin Allgaier. Uh, we'll see what happens. I'm really excited to see what Ross Chastain can do in that 10 car, uh, knowing that he, uh, he signed next year, full, full season in the Xfinity with Holly Racing. Uh, but I think it's Cole Custer's race to lose, but you can never count out Christopher Bell.
2: Well, I'll tell you what, it's exciting. We always get down and get ready for for Homestead. All the racing series, the the Gander uh, Outdoor uh, Truck Series, the NASCAR Affinity Series, and the Monster Energy Series as they get ready for uh, Homestead. Let's start over there at the NASCAR uh, uh, Gander Outdoor Truck Series. Uh, Brett Moffat, Stuart Fresson, and Austin Hill, and then Matt Crafton, round out your top four there. What are your thoughts?
8: Yeah, you know, uh, the trucks are always fun, and we saw, you know, that controversial finish last week where Johnny Sauter blocked, um, and that would have, you know, really set himself up for a nice playoff run uh, and pretty much would have almost cemented him into the Final Four coming up in Homestead next month. But Spencer Boyd gets his first career win. That was cool. Um, But, yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. But a couple big wrecks we saw last week, and uh, we'll see if guys like Matt Crafton see if Johnny Sauter can get a win, see if Ross Chastain uh, can finish it off this year. So uh, excited to see what the trucks can do, but tough break last week for Johnny Sauter who uh, got the win taken away from him after blocking too low um, and a hand of the victory to Spencer Boyd.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and that uh, pushed him down to number seven there uh, as well. And I think a lot of people will have their eyes on Austin Hill to win this championship. They think he's got enough in it to to make it to make it happen. We move over to the X- Xfinity Series and we look at the at the uh, as we get ready for the playoffs in the Xfinity Series. Yeah, Christopher Bell, Cole Custers, we talked about earlier, Tyler Reddick, Austin Cedric, uh, Justin Allgaier, Ch- Chase Briscoe, Michael Annette, and Noah Gregston all round out the top
8: eight in the playoff series. Yeah, and I really like Christopher Bell, we know he's going to go cup racing next year. Cole Custer may have may have one more year um, in the Xfinity, knowing that uh, it was announced this week that Clint Boyer is going to be staying at Stewart Haas Racing. So um really like Cole Custer, Christopher Bell. I think they're going to be two of the four when we get to Homestead, and then uh, you could pick and choose between Austin Sendrick, Justin Allgaier, uh, guys like that to round out the Final Four when they get to Homestead next month.
2: Talk about Christopher Bell going into the, the Cup Series next year. What are our thoughts and our previews uh, with him? What are we looking for from him coming into the uh, coming out of the Affinity Series into the
8: Cup Series? Yeah, I think that with Christopher Bell, it's, it's not going to be the the best of rides as we saw. At the Benavidez had a couple of good runs in there this year, but uh, I think Toyota's really going to help that program because then Christopher Bell is the heir apparent to whenever Martin Truex Jr. retires or, you know, to go to and stay with Gibbs uh, because I don't think Denny Hamlin's going anywhere anytime soon. He had that hot stretch throughout the summer. We know Kyle Busch isn't going to go anywhere um, anytime soon. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what they, what they do with that 95 car. It's going to be kind of part of the, the Gibbs family. I'm sure they'll get their engines from there. So like I expect Christopher Bell to be competitive. He's a great driver in, in, in NASCAR, especially in Xfinity. But he's also really good in the dirt, as we learned at the uh, at the Speedway back in back in you know late August or early September. Um, so he's a, he's a great talent. He's gonna be somebody who's gonna be in NASCAR for a while.
2: Well, really exciting to see what happens. But let's get into the big boys the Monster Energy Series. Kyle Larson, number one. Uh, Ryan, uh, we got Ryan Blaney, Denny Hamilton, Martin Truex Jr., Kyle Busch, Kevin Harvick, Brad Keselowski, and Joey Logano
8: round out the top six in the playoff series. Yeah, and I think uh, the, the, the last two names you mentioned there, are ones that it's time to watch for, Joey Logano and Brad Keselowski, the two Penske drivers because now all of a sudden the tides have turned for the guys that were winning races earlier in the season. They were the guys that were at top of the uh, of, of the point standings. Now all of a sudden Ryan Blaney, their teammate, gets his first win of the season at Talladega, um, and him and Kyle Larson have punched their tickets to the next round to the final eight, so um, it will be really interesting to see Brett Keselowski and Joey Legano pick up the pace and uh, kind of play off of what their other teammate, Ryan Blaney, did, try to pick up a win this weekend in Kansas. Um, I think it's Brad Keselowski's race to lose with the Ford type of track. He was fastest in practice yesterday. Um, so I, I think you've to look for the Penske boys to kind of go towards the front and duplicate what Ryan Blaney did last week and try to get a victory.
2: How exciting has it been to watch Denny Hamlin this year? I mean – you talk about a guy who has had his ebbs and flows. This guy has really had his ebbs and flows, and this year it really seems to be like everything is uh, clicking on all the right cylinders. No pun intended. Denny Hamlin has a real shot at winning the championship down in Homestead.
8: Yeah, and you go back to you know that 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 summer run where he came into you know the Brickyard in September. He was one of the hottest drivers in NASCAR. He was winning races, and then since like the last month. They're they're almost beating themselves. They had to go to a backup car last week at Talladega. Um, they had to go to a backup car if you remember Indianapolis, and and they've started from the back a few times, and and, and that's tough to do in NASCAR. It's tough to keep your nose clean, uh, but if Denny can find that magic that he found in August, uh, he's going to be unbeatable the rest of these playoffs.
2: You know, another driver that I just keep rooting for ever since he got in the car, and and I know he he's got the pedigree, but that's Chase Elliott. I mean, this kid can race. And he's been doing this for a few years. He came in and, 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 and kind of tried to fill the shoes there with Jeff Gordon. And it's just really been making some very good progress. I think a lot of people had a lot of expectations early. But I think he's right on pace to, to be exactly where he should be to be a, a legend just like his father.
8: Yeah, you think about his season so far, very consistent. He's
1: got a few wins. And then
8: uh, you get to the playoffs, you know, he went to Talladega back in April you get to the playoffs where you obviously want to win they go to the Roval, he wrecks it on the wall, gets it back under power and comes back to win the race to say, hey, you know, this is the last race you punched your ticket but now all of a sudden after a couple bad runs and a couple you know, cars that were destroyed last week in and, and, uh, in Talladega you just think about, you know you mentioned ebbs and flows with Denny Hamlin how about Chase Elliott, hey you won you punch your ticket to the next round but you know, there's still three more races, and one's Talladega, which you're really good at, but it's also a wild card. So um, he's got some work to do this weekend in Kansas to uh, get above that cut line and to feel comfortable about it.
2: Well, absolutely. So excited to to, to see how, what happens as we get through the, the the playoffs. So let's kind of move into some college football talk here while we got you here for a few minutes. Tony Donahue with the Tony D Podcast. Big win for Notre Dame even though it may have been an ugly win, but a win is a win. And W is a W against uh, USC. They got the bye week and then they've got Michigan next week. What are your thoughts on the, on the the Notre Dame fighting Irish?
1: Yeah.
8: um, You know, we you and I talked about this last week and and the best thing would would be for them was to blow out USC and have Georgia, um, you know, continue to blow people out and win. And what happens? We see Georgia loses in overtime to South Carolina Notre Dame gets off to a great start and then struggles towards the end um with with USC at home winning that game went 30 to 28 so um I think Notre Dame's all but eliminated from that from the playoffs uh, but you could still make a, a decent New Year's Six bowl I think they will um and they still have a great chance of winning out uh, and we'll just we'll we'll see what happens because you know it's all about margin of victory and it's all about what other people do especially the teams that you've played against and that georgia win doesn't look as good as it once was uh, now that georgia lost to south carolina
2: big game today gives bama and tennessee i mean big game our our social media director melissa is a tennessee fan we're going to see what's happening with that game but what are your thoughts on tennessee and bama
8: Yeah, you know, Tennessee, They sort of out ranked as was a team that you thought, okay, this team probably not going to be able to knock off the Alabama, the Georgia of the world. But, you know, they could be one of the top three teams in the SEC. And we've seen them get throttled a few times. Um, you know, and they're not going to live up to the Alabama, Georgia, Florida. Um, I think Alabama should win this one pretty nicely. I don't expect this to be to be close at all.
2: Georgia loses last week. And has South Carolina Gamecocks this week. They could lose two in a row. How big of a story is that in the college football universe?
8: Yeah, I mean it's 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 it's, it's tough because you you know your team like Georgia, that's at the top of the SEC and is one of the best teams in the country. You're going to get everybody's best week in and week out, and you don't have any margin of error. And when you're normally surefire kicker misses a couple and you know you you just don't have it going for you you don't have the ability to lose games anymore and you know south carolina's a tough team they welcome in florida today um you know we'll see what florida can do florida went to lsu last week and had a 28 21 lead before giving up you know 21 straight points and losing that game 42 to 28 so um i'm going to be interested to see uh what what Florida can do today against South Carolina because if you remember Will Muschamp, the head coach of South Carolina used to coach at Florida, so you know he's going to have a big time game plan to try and uh, upset the Florida Gators today at home.
2: Let's have a put on our homer hat if you will. We got IU in Maryland and Purdue in Iowa. Uh IU just got to win the games they have to win. And 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 this is one of those games they're favored by 5. Uh Purdue's going to struggle against Iowa, but IU can certainly beat uh, Maryland and let's just look at one game at a time with Indiana. Of course, that's my homer card. I'm an IU alumni, IU fan, but IU has got to beat Maryland today and Purdue's going to struggle against Iowa.
8: Yeah. I mean, Indiana, you win today. All of a sudden you got five wins on the season. You're one win away from bowl eligibility. You're going against a team that's going to be starting a backup quarterback. I like IU. uh, I'd like them to be able to control this game. Like you said, they're a five-, six-point favorite. Uh, can you stretch the football out and, and get off to a great start like you did last week? I think that's the key.
2: You know, uh, certainly Big Ten is a, is a division that we live here in, 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 in uh, Route for. but Wisconsin and Illinois, nothing really to talk about there, but what are your thoughts?
8: Yeah, I think Wisconsin will, uh, will roll over Illinois nicely. They had an impressive showing last week against Michigan State um, at home. I don't think Illinois will be able to hang in this one whatsoever.
2: How big of a game is this for Louisville at home against Clemson this week?
8: Yeah, I mean, I think anytime you play Clemson and you play the number two team in the country, it's a big game. I don't care if you're if you're Alabama, if you're Eastern Illinois, or if you're Louisville. Um, I just don't think Louisville is going to have a chance. It, it may be close early, but um, definitely don't expect Louisville to be able to hang around with Clemson. Louisville is sneaky good though this year. And Clemson's good. They don't have to you know they're they they do not have to be sneaky about it. I just Clemson's too tough and, and again we're in the points of the season where especially road wins in conference play um are gonna be key and you're gonna have to blow teams out to be able to tell the committee, you know, hey, we did this to our conference opponents and I think that's why they're twenty five point favorites today.
2: How good is Minnesota? They've creeped up to number twenty.
8: Yeah, Minnesota's a decent team, uh, and, and that's such a, a a tough, tough schedule that they're going to play, and to be 6-0 right now, undefeated, um, you know, going to Purdue, you weren't sure, um, but they're going to have their work cut out for them, because you get Rutgers today, that'll be a win, uh, and then you get Maryland at home, that'll be a win, and then you set yourself up for that uh, the bye week, and then you welcome in number seven, Penn State, then you get number 23, Iowa, then you get number six, Wisconsin, so we're going to really see uh, that the Oars are going to be rowing for Minnesota over the next couple of weeks because uh, they still got to play three more ranked opponents.
2: We're talking to Tony Donahue of the Tony T podcast. Tony, tomorrow's big, big game for us homers here in Indianapolis. I will be at that game. Uh, the, the Colts welcome the texans and i tell you what the texans are on fire uh it's a really a must win for both teams but for for when we look at the the control of the afc south the winner of this game is going to be really in a, a good control probably pretty much for the rest of the season unless some un uh, bar uh, happens i mean uh, watts is 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 on fire texans is a tough team but i tell you what Talk about sneaky good. I mean, the Colts are doing some good stuff. And I mean, I know I'm a Colts fan, but I think even if I wasn't a Colts fan, I'd have to say, man, the Colts, and and, and they're only favored by one. That shows you how close uh, Vegas in the world thinks this is going to be. All eyes are on the Texans and Colts tomorrow.
8: Yeah, and I think you got to start with the Colts injury front. It seems like it's always a laundry list week in and week out of who's injured, and as impressive as the Colts win was against Kansas City two weeks ago, the Texans, uh, you know, coming back from behind to beat the Chiefs last week. Um, you know, yeah, the Chiefs won yet Thursday night in, in blowout fashion over Denver to move to 5-2, and two, but they're without Patrick Mahomes for the next two to three weeks. So they no longer become the clear-cut, you know, second favorite in the AFC. Obviously, New England's going to be the number one team right now. Then you got the Chiefs, but there's a lot of question marks who can step up, and I think tomorrow's Colts-Texans game will go a long way to see who can maybe get that uh, home home field advantage in the first round of the playoffs. Cause if the Colts win, they join the Texans at four and two. Um, the bills are going to move to five and one this weekend, cause they'll blow out the dolphins. Uh, but, but you really trust the bills. You really trust them to, uh, to play consistent football. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's an arms race in the AFC. You could say the Ravens what? are right there too. They get a tough, they got a tough one in Seattle. So, um, you know, they'll, If if you're going to say New England's number one, I think seeds two, three, four, five, and six are up in the air in the AFC.
2: Well, Tony Dungy said on national radio to Dan Patrick's show uh, this past week that he thinks that the Houston Texans are the second best team in the NFL. And if that's the case, that's a huge statement.
8: Yeah, I mean, and and they're firing on all all cylinders right now. You beat the Texans, you blow out the, the Falcons, a tough one to lose to the Panthers, 16 to 10. But um you know, you've had good wins, and this is going to be another grind out game tomorrow. Like you mentioned, uh, it's a one-point advantage for the Colts. The over unders 47. Um, I think the Colts get it done, but I think it's going to be a low-scoring affair.
2: Well, I think it's going to be a tough game, and I'm excited to uh, to be there uh, for that game. Tony Donahue of the Tony Donahue uh, Tony D podcast. Uh, Tony, real quickly though, I, I'm just gathering thoughts across the board, and and, and certainly uh, you're just whatever your opinion is, but LeBron James added fuel to a fire that could have been exhausted with this whole China and NBA thing. And, and I I don't know if you listen to Clay Travis, but he teed off on the, on the NBA and LeBron James, like nobody's business. And I think it's, it's a a fair assessment. And I know it's about money and I know we just want to, I I talked with our mutual friend, John, and he just, we just want to play ball. That's all we want to do. And, and uh, the, the thing about it is on one hand, you've got LeBron James, He's always spouting off about – and you got Colin Kapatrick and all these athletes that are saying how bad the United States is. And then yet one NBA coach tweets, stand strong with Hong Kong because of democracy, and China goes crazy. People don't understand the, the limit. Here's the thing. People went crazy over Twitter, but what a lot of people don't know, Twitter is banned in China. So the government has that much control; you can't even have Twitter in China. So nobody even saw this tweet. So what are your thoughts? What are, uh, good, bad, or indifferent? Uh, we can agree or disagree; it doesn't really matter. But what are your thoughts? LeBron James really added fuel to this fire, and NBA's got themselves a mess, and Nike's stuck in the middle of it too.
8: Yeah, I think LeBron didn't really do himself any favors by coming out with that late with that late statement. And that statement so late because you know, if you don't come out with something immediately, you think that it's, you know, it's written for you and it's scripted. Um, I'm kind of glad we're moving on and, and we're to the start of the season here uh, coming up this week. Um, you know, I, I heard your, your previous guest say that the NBA doesn't need China. Um, I would probably rethink that a little bit knowing that um, there are millions of people over there that are buying NBA gear that are Rockets fans because of Yao Ming, that are NBA fans because they love basketball. Um, so I, I just think that, you know they both need each other, and I'm just like you mentioned. I'm glad that it's it's finally just time to go ahead and play some ball.
2: Tony, appreciate you. Uh, you're always welcome here. Where can people find your work in masterpieces,
8: sir? Yeah, on Twitter at Tony DND uh, and the Tony D podcast available on Apple, iTunes, and uh, Spotify.
2: Tony, appreciate it, man. And you have yourself a good weekend. Go Colts.
7: Yes, sir. Take care, man.
2: All right, buddy. Tony Donahue of the Tony T Podcast joins us talking some NASCAR with us uh, and some college football. My name is Saul Marcus. We're back with a Dividend super Browns fan, super uh, uh, Ohio State Buckeyes fan. We'll talk about uh, that uh, close uh, win with the Northwestern not, <laughs> But we'll get into some college football talk with Adam Dividend. Always a treat to have him. We'll be right back right here on the Balance Radio Network. <laughs>
4: The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom.
3: It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive-through safari. Feed the animals, see live educational shows, feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure.
1: back to the balance my
2: name is Tom Mark President take one hour in the book taking the Matthew Embry WSBT and South Bend flagship station for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish and also our official IndyCar uh, uh, contributor talking Notre Dame football with us and some IndyCar and Tony D from I mean Tony Donahue from the Tony D podcast during this talk some NASCAR a little college football a little homer card with the NFL joining us now is the one the only like none other Adam Jibben how is you sir
9: Hey buddy, how can you, how are you doing today?
2: Man, we're rocking and rolling. How about that that really close win at, with the uh, Ohio State and Northwestern? <laughs> yeah.
9: Well, you know, this team continues to surprise me because anytime I like, I predicted like I was like they're gonna win yesterday, they're gonna win easily. But I was even thinking like it'll probably be something like thirty eight to ten, knowing that maybe they would get like a late touchdown. But this team is so locked in, they don't even do that. I, I mean it this team is it's, it's the most balanced Ohio State team this early in the season I think I've ever seen in my entire life. your entire life. Ever. yeah I, this is This is a more balanced Ohio State team than the 2014 national title. Team at the same point this season, in the season. This is a more balanced team by far than the 2002 team, which just basically relied on Maurice Claret on offense, uh, a little bit of uh, Michael Jenkins at wide receiver, and then an absolutely dominant defense. This team is the number three offense, and they would be higher if we played our starters one time through the fourth quarter. And it's the number four defense. Like, I'm looking at Wisconsin going, look, I know you've not given up any points, but who's going to cover all these wide receivers? Who's going to cover Justin Fields when he's in the open field? And then you see J.K. Dobbins. He'll be like, stuff for like two yards, stuff for two yards, and then rip off a 68-yarder. I just don't see – I don't see Wisconsin. I think it'll be close through the half next week, and then I think they'll win by – I don't know, like seventeen, at least. So this is a and
1: this then, is a big story.
6: Go
9: ahead, go ahead, go ahead. No, I said this is a big story so just next just week. Penn State. I mean, what's that? I say, and then Penn State and Michigan at the end of the year. Like, I don't know what Sean Clifford from Penn State has, and Michigan doesn't. They don't even scare me enough to like. Yeah, sure, it'll be a game, but that's that's it.
2: So big, big story next week uh, on the 26th. You take on Wisconsin. All eyes in the nation are going to be watching you guys. The two best teams in the Big Ten, by by far, I would think uh, uh, certainly uh, uh, next to IU, of course. Though. <laughs> I always got to throw that in. If they lose to Maryland today, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump off the next bridge that I see. I'm just kidding. No, I'm not really gonna do that. But man, they got to win this game against Maryland. We'll get into that game, but uh, in a moment. But Big, big, big game for both teams. Wisconsin and Ohio State gonna write your chapter to the possible playoffs if if, whoever wins this. But if Wisconsin beats Ohio State, I mean the conversation is on. They got to be in the top four, final four.
9: Oh, I, I, I would agree. The thing that the thing that's really ultimately not in Ohio State's favor is that we have the toughest road of all contenders. I would say including Alabama because I don't think Georgia is that good. For crying out loud, they just lost to South Carolina who was a 28-point underdog on the road. I mean, that would be like us losing to IU. No offense, IU. Like, <laughs> it's just that – it'd be that kind of level upset. And then Alabama, so they have one – they have one game against a great LSU team, but LSU's defense is incredibly suspect. Even Alabama's defense is incredibly suspect. Oklahoma just played their one tough opponent in Texas. Um, and, then, and and meanwhile, we have Wisconsin next week. We're going to have, who is now ranked seventh, Penn State um, at the end of the season. And then we're going to follow that up we're going to beat the pants off of Michigan, and then we'll follow that up with the Big Ten Championship game, probably against Wisconsin again. That's the toughest – that would be the only thing that could potentially knock out the Big Ten is if you see some stupid thing happen where they go, let's just say Ohio State loses to Wisconsin next week but then wins the Big Ten Championship game against them. That'd be the only thing is that they would have two one-loss Big Ten teams, and then they go, well, was the Big Ten really that good? Yes, the top of the Big Ten is really that good.
2: We're talking with Adam in, super Ohio State, the Ohio State Buckeyes fan, super Browns fan. Hey, is the, is the Ohio State Buckeyes a better team with Ryan Day without Urban Meyer, or are they a better team with Urban Meyer?
9: Honestly, at this point in his career, I think you got to say they're a better team with Ryan Day. He just has he has a few things working in his favor. A, uh, you would see every year with almost every Urban Meyer team that one game where they just like don't even show up. And it happened at Ohio State. It happened at Florida. Um, I think I think Ryan Day has brought a fresh a brush of fresh fresh air with a lot of his coordinators. We would not have seen Jeff Hackley come over if Urban was still here. We would not have seen Greg Madison or Al Washington come from Michigan if, he, if, if Urban was still here. Because um, Urban, at the end of what was near the end of his career, frankly, wanted to work with his friends. And I, I can understand that to a degree. I mean, work was where you and I first met. But mm-hmm. at the same time, working with your friends doesn't always justify the best results. I mean, we're seeing that with this defense. Cuz Greg Schiano was our coordinator last year and is a good buddy of Urban Meyer, and that defense was a train wreck. And it's almost the exact same players like across the board, and it's the fourth-ranked defense in the country right now. And all it is is it's a better scheme suited to the players that we actually have as opposed to Greg Schiano's running a scheme thinking he's still coaching the freaking Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So it just didn't work. I think at this point, it is easy to say that at this stage, Ryan the the program is in better shape with Ryan Day than it was with Urban. Now, would it be at the spot that it is for Day to do that without Urban? I would say no. So Urban is an amazing builder, but I think he has a trouble – with sustained greatness. And that's the difference between sometimes some guys is, you know, some, some guys, some coaches are great builders. And then they hit that level where they're like, Hey, now we need to maintain this and you can't play that underdog card all the time. And they just don't know how to make that function and make that work. I think we're actually seeing that to a degree in the NFL right now. Like that's what I, I think honestly, that's a big part of Baker Mayfield's mental, whatever the heck's going on with him. He's no longer the underdog. He's expected to win, and I think it's hard when you when you are everyone's best shot. That's a hard thing to do week in and week out, which is what's made things like Alabama's run just absolutely incredible um, over this last decade. Now it, it helps that they're you know like probably like sliding checks under the doors to keep the best players happy, but and I even it, probably we know it's happening.
1: Right. Exactly.
9: Yeah. So like everybody knows it's happening, but I think that's the way that, that that's the thing is urban is a great, Hey, everybody's doubting us. Let's go out and prove them wrong. But, but where urban struggles is that, Hey, no one's doubting us. We have to stay focused. How do we do that? And I think that's, that's where we're going to see Ryan Day excel. So, he's doing great on the recruiting trail. He has the number three recruiting class, according to the 24-7 Sports Composite, that's probably going to get a little bit better. Um, he, the product on the field is not only appealing, but if you look at the sidelines, the guys are having fun. Like we didn't see a lot of laughing and cutting up like with Urban's teams. They were so serious all the time, and I appreciated it because we kind of needed that. Like, we needed that level of intensity and that level of professionalism. But now we know how to be professional and also still have a good time. And and so I think Ryan Day, what we have seen is Ryan Day is the best of the last two coaches we've had. He's the best parts of Urban Meyer and the best parts of Jim Trestle, which as an Ohio State fan is the best compliment I could possibly give the guy.
2: Whenever you get a compliment by Adam Jividen, you know, it's, uh, you know it's big. Adam, let's get into some of the scores. Jay Rick Riggin, our official college football contributor, unable to uh, join us uh, due to some prior obligations. We talked a little bit about Purdue and Iowa uh, with, uh, with Tony Donahue. But what are your thoughts about that game? Big uh, top 25 game there. At least I think Purdue's going to struggle against Iowa for sure, but Indiana's got to beat Maryland. We'll get into that game in a second. But uh, what are your thoughts, uh, Purdue and Iowa? I,
9: I think Purdue's – Iowa's defense is really good, but their quarterback play is terrible. Like, it was, it was some of the worst – I watched a chunk of their game against Michigan, and it was some of the worst quarterback play I've ever seen. So if Purdue can score some points early and, and keep it close, I think they could get, you know, like a quick hitter – shot to the to the end zone that that could pull the upset. As far as IU and Maryland, Maryland, after somehow dropping like what, 70 points against Syracuse, has struggled mightily. And I think that it's being shown that Mike Loxley is what he is. He can pop up, he can recruit okay, he'll he'll have a, a good game or two here against a subpar opponent. But by and large once teams start getting tape on what he's going to do, he doesn't know how to adjust. It's what you saw from Alabama. When the, when it, when the primary reads at Alabama didn't work, they would get killed. The, the thing was is their primary reads just usually worked because they had so much more talent than everybody else. Um, but you don't see that from, from Mike Locksley. He doesn't know how to make adjustments, which is what makes what Ryan Day does so incredibly impressive because, like, our first quarters are good – but we've outscored opponents in the second quarter now after last night's game. It's something like 336 to 20. Like, who does that? Uh, and, but he just – he – lockly when he – when when it doesn't work, he just keeps on trying to, like, ram his head through that wall no matter how many times, you know. Over Eventually, the wall's just going to make you cave in, and that's what's going to happen. So IU – I think IU picks up a, a W today um, as they're pushing closer towards – you know, bowl eligibility.
2: eligibility, baby, bowl eligibility. And I don't care if it's a toilet bowl as long as they go to the bowl. Uh, West Virginia at Oklahoma, not a lot to talk about here, but the Mountaineers are always a good game. And i tell you what, this is a big rivalry that goes way back. Uh, West Virginia and Oklahoma, what are your thoughts?
9: Um, Oklahoma wins going away. Uh, West Virginia hung in with Texas for a while. Um, Oklahoma, they're just they're there at this point a well-oiled machine. Uh, their defense has played better than it has the last few years. I, I think, yeah, I think they win pretty resoundingly, even with the rivalry.
2: You talked about this game a little bit earlier with Tony Donahue, but uh, uh, number three Clemson goes into Louisville, and I say I say Louisville sneaky good, uh, but, you know, anytime you got the number three team coming into your home stadium, it's a big uh, – it's a big uh, – uh, game and certainly uh, they they took over that number three spot from Georgia after their uh, loss last week. Clemson at Louisville.
9: Uh, you know, I honestly I've got Clemson on upset alert. Satterfield is an amazing coach for Louisville, and I you know I went to school um, at a small Christian school down in Louisville. Uh, that city's going to be pumped, and and I think they can score they can score points on this if if Clemson sleepwalks like they have. The majority of their games, they could find themselves in trouble. Now, I could, if, they, if they show the kind of focus that they did last week, they should, I mean, they should talent-wise alone win this game easily. But this Clemson team just does not seem to like – I think there's a level of arrogance right now in their program that they just think that they can be like, oh, hey, we can sleepwalk through three quarters, and then in the fourth quarter we'll just pull away. Um, but it doesn't work like that. As teams hang in with you, they get confidence. And confidence is a huge – Boost for the underdog, especially when you know you're playing at home. So I, I, I think Clemson wins, but I would think I think it honestly I think it will be under 10 points.
2: Is there anything to talk about with Wisconsin and Illinois,
9: or is this just checking out the boxes for Wisconsin? Uh, just checking boxes. I think they'll they'll, they'll do what their Wisconsin dominates these teams that can't pass, like we saw it last week against Michigan State after Michigan State got like physically beat down by Ohio State, Michigan State just kind of gave up, and Wisconsin is so physically sound and fundamentally sound, they just, don't get, they, they just punish you once they start getting that lead and they know you can't throw to come back.
2: So uh, another upset alert here. Arkansas could beat Auburn. That's a bold, uh, bold statement, but I'm going to stand by it.
9: I can see it. I still don't know what to expect from this Auburn team. Um, and Gus Malzahn is always – like every year he's due for like a game where you're like, what are you doing? Because he thinks he's like this offensive genius and he's going to rewrite football as we know it. And then he'll go in there and just do something absolutely stupid. Um, if Arkansas can limit Auburn's big plays, Auburn Auburn lives right now off the big play. It's how they beat Oregon. Um, it's, you know, it's how they've won a lot of their games. But that's what actually Florida was able to do when they won is they limited Auburn's big plays. And then Auburn was just they, – they couldn't they couldn't function – um, with sustained drives. So if Arkansas can just limit Auburn's big, big place, they could they could pull off the upset, which I'm kind of hoping for just to take some of these SEC homers. I'm looking at you, Heather Dinich, um, and like, <laughs> slow your roll. <laughs> oh, Adam
2: Givadin and his and his uh, theater of the mind. I love it uh Florida uh Florida state and in South Carolina both off of big wins but I tell you what South Carolina made a statement uh number 9 6 and 1 Florida against the Gamecocks at home what are your thoughts
9: Well you know I it's it, Florida wins I think they're they need it they need it to stay. I think South Carolina is like, hey guys, they beat Georgia, and they're just gonna ride that like high the rest of the season. You know, they'll win. they'll probably be bowl eligible and then lose to a Big Ten team. Like like that's their M O. like every year. And Will Muschamp will like pull off like a big game once every two or three years like that. But I mean, I think I think they're just Georgia beat themselves last week, which was the most, which was the craziest thing out of all of it. So I I think yeah, I think Florida takes it.
2: I tell you what, can, is this the time in the show where we do every week, and we're going to do every week through the playoffs, and we'll continue it next year when you have an undefeated team not get into the playoffs because of strength of schedule. We look at Temple five and one, but number nineteen, number nineteen, and they're undefeated at six and zero. SMU at home against uh, Temple. This sh- is going to be a good game. But there again, I, I I think SMU wins this game and they go in seven and zero and they're still going to be having a hard time to get above nineteen and they're never going to get into the playoffs.
9: No, I, I I Temple's a good team though. I mean Temple I, immediately after uh, Maryland boat raced Syracuse, they got physically beat down by Temple. Temple could could this is it's going to be a game. I actually think that's going to be one of the better games of the day. Uh, and I think that I, I could see them pull out the victory. I don't know if they'll sustain it, but I think it'll be a good game.
2: Adam, let me ask you this. If you went undefeated, if let's just do the Cleveland Browns, because that, that's your team if the Cleveland Browns went undefeated in the regular season, would they be in the playoffs?
9: Absolutely. I, I, that's why no. I've been, I've been advocating for a long time for a 16 playoff eight too many, but six would be perfect.
2: Yeah, you're always gonna gonna have, We, we if, need that. We need that extra two teams. Right.
9: eight, ten. You could, but you could have, you could have SMU. If SMU is undefeated, I would put SMU against a Pac-12 team, and I think they would, they could win that game. Now, is SMU going to take out Ohio State or Oklahoma? No, but they could, they could beat, they could beat a, a Pac-12 team if on on other, and I'm saying this year in particular. Um, because I just think Ohio State and Oklahoma, in my opinion, are the most the most two well rounded teams in the country. Um, even more so than Alabama. Alabama's defense is not the same juggernaut that it's been in previous years. And I know some ESPN and CBS writers were like the best corners in the country. Both of them are at the University of Alabama, and they're complete crap, and they're just you know drinking the Kool Aid. But like, uh, you've got, you know. Uh, an SMU team would give, I I would say, especially if they run the table, they deserve, they deserve a shot. Now, will they miss the shot? Maybe, but they at least deserve a shot, which is why a four-team playoff doesn't make sense to begin with. I mean, take, for example, the year that Ohio State, um, the year after we won the national title in 2015, and we basically had one bad game against Michigan State, um, but then in the, in the, uh, in the bowl game, beat the crap out of a good Notre Dame team, who was probably the sixth-best team in the country that year. There's just... A, a four-team playoff leaves too many good teams with no margin for error. Or, in, in the case of SMU, no shot before the season even starts. So, I think that's six makes sense. Give the top two teams a bye, and then the bottom four play, and you could have... You could either have... Um, you can have rules where it's the top guaranteed top four conference winners, and either the fifth conference winner if they meet certain you know criteria, and one at large team. Because for the years that like Notre Dame is really good, does that mean you're going to leave out two conferences? Or if there's two great teams from one conference, what do you do? So that, I think that's where that the 16 playoff makes makes more sense than anything else.
2: And the debate will continue, I promise So I want to just get into a couple things here Before we let you go I know we're a little bit over time So I apologize for that But I want to talk about your Cleveland Browns Can't let you go without talking about your Cleveland Browns We
1: pre-anointed
2: them as a Super Bowl winner Before the season even started And we got nothing You got nothing You guys did what the Browns do What the Browns do What the Browns do Baker Mayfield needs to stop me trying to be a star and start being a leader on that team. That's that's problem. Number one, you got a coach that's probably going to be one and out if they don't get stuff together. What's going on up there in Northern Ohio, bro.
9: Honestly, uh, I think a few things. I think one, you have a, a rookie head coach that right now is, is, is over his head. Um, Baker's, Baker's offensive line this year has not been nearly as good as it was last year. I think a lot of that has to do with Freddie, not, I don't know what he's doing offensively. Like some games we look amazing and then others, like, it's like completing a simple pitch route is like a, is is painstaking. Um, I think another aspect of it, I think it has to do with the fact that they were, you know, anointed a contender early. A lot has to do with the way a young team, with all new coaches, have adjusted to, and if you look at the if you look at the, the 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 winning percentages, the hardest record in the league. I mean, they have played almost every really freaking good team in the league. Um, with the expe- with the exception of, you know, they, they had a game against the Jets when you know their quarterbacks were all hurt, and then they had a game with the Titans in week one, where it was a close game, and then. And then the, the, the wheels just fell off in the fourth quarter for the Browns. Uh, so, you know, I, I still think this team can pull it together and, and make a playoff run with how our schedule is set up. You know, hopefully this bye week they can, they can do things. But, you know, they, they had a winnable. They should have. They had a game against the Rams. They should have won. Game against Seattle last week. They should have won. And if they and if they can just do that, and because and they're still learning how to win, if they do that, this conversation is entirely different. But it's it, it starts with getting back to the fundamentals of who we are, and then at the same time, if John Dorsey can pull off a, a trade for Trent Williams from the Washington Redskins, that would certainly help. Uh,
2: Adam uh, D. Asalam. Uh, 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 I, I know I just butchered his last name, so I do apologize for that. And it's probably noted and very duly so as one of the smartest men in the NFL, uh, and he has really got a great football mind. He cares a lot about the Cleveland Browns. I'm very fortunate to have an owner like him. But is it fair to say he got it wrong this time?
9: You know, I don't know. With rookie head coaches, it's so it's so hard to tell. I mean. I have no doubt that our front office is elite, but did I think this is also one of those things where maybe they were just feeling themselves a little too much last year. I don't, I don't know because, again, you're still only talking six games into a rookie head coach's career. Yeah, we'll see. I, I think where it's going to show itself is in the next four games. Next week is against the Patriots, and will be a bear of a game. The following weeks, it gets lighter. If they can go three and one the next four weeks and the team is starting to get rid of some of the mental mistakes and things like that, then I think you can say that. But if we're, let's just say one and three, I think it's, yeah, I think it would be very obvious that they they made a mistake.
2: Out of Jim Super Brown fan, super Ohio States fan, I'm uh, gonna I'm just kinda doing my own informal poll. you can agree or disagree, but I think the NBA got themselves in a jam with China
4: and I honestly
2: think that, you know, the, the same people that speak out against the atrocities here in America, uh, could not have the gonads to speak up against China and got mad about a tweet that was sent out that said staying strong for, for um hong kong by the nba general manager here's my thing uh, you want to talk about oppression and you know a lot about this because you do a lot of traveling and not in the challenge a third world country but you understand a lot of what a lot of the rights that we have in America that aren't uh, privileged by other citizens across the the world. In fact, China, Chinese citizens can't even have Twitter. So who even saw that freaking Twitter? LeBron James opened up his mouth. Uh, Clay Travis cheat off on the NBA and LeBron James real quickly. What are your thoughts on that? Good, bad, or indifferent?
9: You know, I love LeBron. So I'll say this, LeBron James, read the freaking news before you open your dumb mouth.
2: He That's had a week, it. like he had a week to prepare a statement, and and he something should have just been said right away. I, and, you know, and, we and, gotta, said, we, and to,
9: and to say, you know, I have more important things to worry about, like winning a basketball game. Uh, you know, dude, don't even. Like this is where I get I get tired of people who talk about how we have widespread oppression here in this country, and then will support leaders like in China or like in Venezuela or like in Brazil, where they don't understand remotely what the living conditions are for those people. I've been in some of these countries where the oppression is so thick. You have a girl. um, There was a a personal friend of, of mine, uh, their, their family, a girl that was going to go deaf, but the socialized medicine refused to take care of it. Because on their list of priorities, her income level didn't accomplish that, so they felt like their resources could go better spent towards someone else.
2: No, I agree. These are basic,
9: you, we... basic, basic, human rights issues. NBA. Yeah, I, 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 I'm at the point now, unless these, unless these players and unless these owners like sack up and stop looking at the almighty dollar. I am not watching – I was going to get Pacers season tickets this year, like a partial season ticket package. I'm not supporting the NBA. Now, I'll still like watch the Pacers, and I'll still support the Cavs because I haven't heard any statements from those players. But, like, I, I'm i not giving the NBA at large a dime until they realize what, what they're doing. You are supporting one of the most it, – it, it, this would be no different than – than us supporting uh, Stalin
6: in, yeah. in terms of the well, way
9: that the human rights issues.
6: Well, I mean, Adam, the the, the
9: Chinese to. government has killed millions and millions of people. It, no, I, wake you, Adam, up,
2: people. I, I hate to cut you off, but we've got to move on to the next segment. Uh, but uh, I appreciate your input and work, and we'll be, uh, we'll be uh, having you on again soon, sir.
9: Sounds good. Thanks, Tommy. Have a good Saturday, yeah, man. Hey.
2: Yeah, <laughs> you too, buddy. Adam Dividend, a uh, very passionate man across the board. I love having him on. He, he knows his Cleveland Browns. He knows his Ohio State Buckeyes. Super uh, Ohio fan. Uh, coming up next, uh, we've got uh, Ed Kratz, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles uh, from SA.com, our official NFL contributor, and Mo from the BS Sports Show. We're going to be talking some NFL and MLB right around the corner. Stand by. We're about to, we'll be right back right here on the Balance Radio Network.
3: Double the fun at African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio. See the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eel, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure.
6: GET
2: Welcome back to the balance. We got 30 minutes left on the clock here. Great show so far. Matthew Embry, WSVT in South Bend, our official IndyCar contributor, talking about the new arrow screens in IndyCar. We'll talk a little bit about Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Obviously, he works with WSVT, the flagship station of the Fighting Irish. Uh, they're on a the bi week. Big win against uh, USC. Well, not big, but a win. It wasn't a. We'll call it a big win. We'll call it a pretty win, but we'll call it a win. Uh, so certainly, uh, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish are, are checking off. Uh, boxes and also thanks to Tony Donahue, Tony D podcast doing this for some NASCAR talk. It's college football talk. In our last segment, Adam Jevon, very passionate super fan of the Cleveland Browns. Me And the Ohio State Buckeyes talking some college football with us and uh, that meltdown up there in northern Ohio. But joining us now to continue the NFL conversation, Ed Kratz, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles, our official NFL contributor at SI.com. Also, Mo from the BS Sports Show. Guys, how are we doing, Mo? How are you, sir?
10: Well, I'm taking a detour on a backcountry road, so right now I'm more disjointed and, uh, than Patrick Mahomes' knees.
2: Man, we're gonna talk about Patrick Mahomes, man. that was what a great win that was for Kansas City over denver, but man, they you talk about losing and we know it- oh too well here in Indianapolis, but yeah, uh so just yeah enjoy the enjoy the the scenery there in uh Ohio. are you in Ohio or are you over in Illinois? I never know where you're know at where but
10: I, I have no <laughs> idea where I am right now
2: <laughs> all right, enjoy this also, Ed kratz, how are you, sir? Hey I will take one of Mo's and say I'm alive.
11: You know, it's alive. Uh, you know, Mo usually there you go. so he's alive, yeah. <laughs> so I'm alive. I'm alive and well.
2: Hey. My grandpa used to say, if I wake up and my name's not in the obituary column, it's going to be a good day. So, (laughs) (laughs) talk about a good day. Who's lived to uh, to fight another day? We'll start with you, Mo. The Yankees' big win uh, out there in uh, New York against the Astros to to, to continue the fight. My buddy uh, uh, Rick uh, was—I mean, my buddy Rich. I got Rick on my mind because he's not—he's not with us today. But nonetheless. My buddy Rich was up at that game and was sending me some pictures. Uh, and he was just happened to be in New York City. Him and his family were going to go see a Broadway show and found out that it was cheaper for him to go to the playoff game I guess the Yankees, the Yankees and the Astros, they're big Yankees fans, so it was a big win. Mo, what are your thoughts to the Yankees? and Man, my Cardinals, man, they, they went down with a burning flame. Nationals are just standing back, twiddling their thumbs. Bring it to me. So we don't know if it's going to be uh, the Astros or the Yankees, but, man, the Yankees are still got some fight in them.
10: Well, I mean, I think the Yankees might have a little fight in them, but if you, if you look at that rain delay, I think that totally helped the Astros. You get to, to throw your three top guys at them again, and I don't think the Yankees have enough pitching or even at this point enough hitting, uh, discipline hitting to take down, uh, you know, uh, the, the Astros pitching staff. The Astros are a pretty darn well-rounded team when you look at starting pitching and, uh, and their hitting. So I just don't think the Yankees have enough in the tank to take up the Astros two more times.
2: Ed, I know you got some connections there to the city as well, but what are your thoughts about the Yankees and the Astros? Yeah, I you know, I was right. They are a well-rounded
11: team, but you know, I thought the Dodgers were well, a well-rounded team as well, but uh, you know, the Nationals uh took them out and I told you a couple weeks ago once the Nationals won that uh that uh wild card game against the Brewers to look out, man. Now they've won something and um, you know, I think they have a pretty well-rounded team too. I think they have good pitching and they have good hitting and you know, as much as I'd like to see an Astros-Nationals-World Series, I don't think the Yankees are done quite yet. It's going to be a big task to have to go. I think they play next in Houston, right? So,
2: Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. you
11: know, it's going to be a big task to win that game six against whichever pitcher uh, the Astros roll out. And maybe it's Garrett Cole who gets to start. I,
2: I don't know. But it's
11: going to be a tough tough job, and that's pretty cool. The Rick was in New York, you said, for that game last night?
2: Not Rick. Not the, not the Rick that you know. My buddy, my colleague Rich. Rich. Uh, he's from new york okay. he lives here in, in, in uh, he lives here in indianapolis but uh he works with me but his his kids had never been to new york city still got some family there so they went there for a little mini vacation they were going to go to a broadway show and then realized <laughs> hey we could go to the yankees game this is now an opportunity for us and so once in a lifetime so um he he said it was a, a a democracy vote amongst the family and the kids but i'm pretty sure that he had the the controlling vote so they went to the uh, Yankees game last night as opposed to a Broadway show, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah, so, well, then, I, Yankee I'm,
11: Stadium is I'm, a, a, a great place. I mean, I really like Yankee Stadium, and, you know, I, I hate to admit it, but I'm kind of a Yankees fan now since my son went to school at right. NYU for four years, and the graduation ceremony was just in Yankee Stadium last May, and it's yeah. terrific, so... You know, I'm kind of rooting for the for the Yankees, but you know that Astros Nationals World Series would be a fun one, I think.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Hey, uh, Mo, is Bryce Harper rooting for the Nationals? You think?
1: <laughs> <laughs>
10: well, I mean. <laughs> He said, he said he is. I don't know if that's really the truth, but I mean, I'm sure he still has some friends on that team, and and, and why not? And it's looking like Vice Harper is going to have Joe Girardi as his manager next year. So, uh, you know, not a, not a terrible situation for him either. But, uh, you know, like Ed said, I, I think the uh, the Astros Nationals World Series would be a lot of fun. Two very well rounded teams with two very good pitching staff and, and young, timely hitting. So, uh, you know, either way I think it is gonna be some fun, but you look at how far baseball's fallen last night, you know, you had to go to F S one without Joe Buck to find the A L C S while WWE Smackdown was on Big Fox. So it I showed you where baseball ranks nowadays.
2: No, right, very valid, valid point there. Ed, biggest news of the NFL, I think, right now this week, I would say, and maybe there's some other close stories, but I think the biggest storyline, we saw uh, Patrick Mahomes of the Kansas City Chiefs go down. Uh, could be a season-ending injury. We don't know yet. Uh, some damage to that knee there. Uh, but what a great win for the defense, for, for the Chiefs, and what a great win against the Broncos. But I, I, I'm concerned. I, I think a lot of people thought that Kansas City was the second-best team in the NFL right now. But man, this 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 story with Patrick Mahomes, and man, I feel that I'm a I'm a Kansas City fan, and outside of my cult, so I, I like the Kansas City Chiefs. But this is, uh, and I got Patrick Mahomes as a fantasy quarterback, so you know I'm feeling it. But uh, that that's that's gotta that's gotta hurt the Chiefs.
1: Yeah,
11: you know, another week with a quarterback getting hurt, and um, yeah, yeah, I mean, but it sounds like he escaped. What, what could have been a worse situation. You know, there was no ligament damage or anything like that. But, you know, you dislocate a kneecap, uh, you know, that's going to it's gonna hurt for a while. Um, you know, there's going to be swelling. And, um, you know, he's going to have to take some pain medication and, you know, do some rehab with it. But I think the best-case scenario kind of came true for the Chiefs. He's only going to miss the three games. And, you know, that's not terrible. Uh, you know, I don't know if the defense can continue to play at that level. I think they were helped by a, a Denver Broncos team that really should start to cash in some of their chips for draft picks because they're not going anywhere. Joe Flacco is, uh, you know, he needs to retire. He looked awful, uh, very slow, no mobility whatsoever. He was just a statue back there and a a sitting duck for that pass rush with the Chiefs. But, um, you know, the Chiefs do have a good defense, and now they're going to have to kind of rely on them a little bit until Mahomes gets healthy. So, uh, But I think it's a a good outcome for the Chiefs in that Mahomes won't miss more than, you know, three weeks, maybe four at the most, um, but I, I just don't think it's going to hurt them too badly. I don't know who they play in these next three weeks, but, uh, you know, I think the Chiefs will be just fine. You know, Mahomes is going to come back, and that defense will probably rally a little bit, and this could be a good good thing for them, uh, you know, in December and into January.
2: Well, let's talk a little bit about the Broncos being an embarrassing loss against Kansas City, but Kansas City had to make a statement against uh, two home losses against uh, Houston and the Colts and the AFC, two big losses to them. So they had to make that statement uh, against the Denver Broncos, but when is one of the greatest quarterbacks ever play the game going to learn how to draft a quarterback?
10: Well, I think this could be the year that maybe John Elway maybe finds the exit because, you know, like Ed said, they may want to start cashing in for fast picks, but, do you trust John Elway to with those to handle those draft picks? You know, have told me Thursday morning that Patrick Mahomes is going to get injured, and we saw the way Denver the last couple of weeks that uh, you know can't continue to blow them out. I would have thought you were insane, but man, it just looked like the Broncos gave up. They looked absolutely terrible. It was a terrible defense at home. What a what a horrific showing for the Broncos. Uh, you know, it might be time that uh, that John Elway. Uh, doesn't take part in speed build and you bring somebody else in to uh, to put, try to put the team back together.
2: Yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll have to see what happens there with the with with the Broncos. But man, they are uh, h- Humpsy Dumpty's egg. Uh, can the soldiers put them all back together? We'll 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 figure all that out. Uh, Ed Kratz, uh, the Eagles go into enemy territory down in Dallas Cowboys, and talk about a team that has to make a statement in the. And the Eagles, a lot of people thought that the Eagles and Chiefs were going to be in the Super Bowl. That story's starting to take a different turn. Uh, there's certainly some storylines with the Eagles, but you guys uh, throw everything out. You, The only game that matters right now is the Dallas Cowboys. And like I said, going into enemy territory, what are your thoughts?
11: Yeah, uh, you know, I think it cuts both ways. I think it's a big statement that they game for Dallas as well as the Eagles. You know, the Cowboys have lost three in a row. They've started out. 3-0, and then everybody thought, oh, Dak Prescott, MVP, and they're going to go to the Super Bowl. And, you know, they do have a good roster, there's no doubt about it, but these last three losses are troubling from their perspective. I mean, they lost to the to the Jets last week, um, which is just completely inexcusable. I saw that Jets team the week before they beat the Cowboys, and they might have been the worst team I saw. Now, I know they had Sam Darnold back, but, you know, they still had the same offensive line that gave up 10 sacks to the Eagles, and um, you know, they still had the same uh, offense that, that really struggled for the most part. So, you know, that to me was a real troubling loss. So the Cowboys are at home. They have to defend their home uh, stadium. They own three wins or, uh, three wins in a row over the Eagles, if you count that 27 regular season finale when they basically played the Eagles' JV team um, because the Eagles had the home field advantage wrapped up in the playoffs that year. But then they did beat them twice last year, including one game in overtime. I mean, these are always good games and between the Eagles and the Cowboys, and I think that's why... Uh, you know, this game for the 10th straight year now is being played on a Sunday night in prime time. I mean, it's a must-watch game across the country. It gets big, uh, uh, big ratings. Um, so that that's why it's on. It's a, it's always a big game. And we saw a little bit of War of Word seed up. Doug Peterson
2: kind of guaranteed a win on his radio spot
11: uh, on Monday. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah.
2: Ask Joe Namath about that being a big no-no. Go ahead. <laughs>
11: well, he, and then a few hours later when he met with – you know, with us, the reporters, he kind of backed away from it and said, I never guarantee to win. And I'm just showing confidence in my players. And then all week long, the Cowboys players were asked about it. Uh, And then finally, Friday, Demarcus Lawrence kind of caved in and said, Doug Peterson needs to keep his rear end on the sideline. He's not playing. And, you know, so the war awards heated up and,
1: uh, you know,
11: that always makes it even more fun when Uh, Those two teams go in there carping at each other. But it's a a big game for both teams. I mean, it's for first place in the NFC East, albeit it's only October. Cowboys are really healthy. I think they're going to have both their offensive tackles back. Um, They're going to have Amari Cooper, I think, is going to play. Of course, I would probably get out there with a cane if I had a knee injury to play against this Eagles secondary, which really got torched in Minnesota last week. So, uh, Cowboys are healthy. Eagles, not so much. They're going to be missing – Uh, You know, one of their starting linebackers, Nigel Bradham, and then they released another starting linebacker on Monday in Zach Brown. So they're kind of going in with some untested guys there at the linebacker spot. You might see an undrafted rookie free agent from Wisconsin, TJ Edwards, play a big role at middle linebacker, uh, would be his first real extended action. And then you're going in with a rookie left tackle uh, for the Eagles because Jason Peters has a knee injury. And he's not playing. So, you know, to me, this game favors the Cowboys. I think they are favored in the game. And to me, I think, you know, the Cowboys will probably uh, hold serve, win their home game, and then these two teams will do it again uh, in December when, you know, the Eagles would hope that they're healthier. Maybe Deshaun Jackson will be back by then. You know, he hasn't played since the season opener. So, you know, the Eagles are a banged-up group going into, you know, enemy territory where the Cowboys have lost three in a row, looking to make a big statement. It's going to be really, really tough for the Eagles to win this game.
2: Ed, I know you're you're in the locker room there with Doug Peterson and and the organization, and you're embedded there. I mean, I got to tell you, everybody thinks Zach Brown's uh, release is is totally due to his smack talk about Kirk Cousins. What WTF if that's true?
11: I can I can say that that may have been a very small part of it, but that's not all of it. You know, Doug Doug talks to us off the record every day or every Friday after his uh, kind of his public podium press conference. And, you know, we talked at great length about that. Yes. You know, on Friday um, and there's more to it than that. You know, I'll just, I'll just leave it there. It's uh, and, and he, you know, he even had said sometimes you just need to make a statement, but uh, you know, when you're struggling as a team, but you know, the Eagles won two out of three games. So it's not like they were exactly struggling, but uh, you know, there's more to it than just his smack talk. I mean, players talk smack all the time and there's no, you know, there's no ramifications other than maybe a talking to behind closed doors about not doing that again. But um, there, there was more to it uh, than that. But that's probably all I could say right now, because, like I said, it's an off-the-record session with Doug that the reporters have. Uh, well, you know, we got pretty heavy into that uh, conversation.
2: Sure. <laughs> Sure, and uh, being in the media, as long as I will, I will take that as a yes, that that, that had more than just a little bit to do with it. But we'll move on. Now, Mo from the BS Sports Show, Mo, the Cleveland Browns, what the heck is going on there? We were just talking a little bit about a divot in. And then, of course, I know you, you you are a dual coverage. You got the Bears as well, so we never know uh, where you're at. You don't even know where you're at right now. But <laughs> the Browns and the Bears, what say you, sir, going into week
10: seven? Eight.
2: Are we at seven well, or eight? Seven. Uh, The
10: the Browns with their, uh, the Browns with their bi-week, Baker Mayfield suffered an injury last week looking to get that healthy. Uh, You know, there's talk of uh, in the Browns complex of trying to see what they can do to improve that offensive line. Uh, You know, and there's been talk, uh, you know, all week long uh, about, uh, you know, people moving for a head coaching change. Now there's not talk about that in the Browns complex, but, you know, fans are getting impatient quickly because fans of uh, the Browns had unrealistic expectations going into this year after adding Odell Beckham Jr. And, you know, I think it's been a learning curve for not only Baker Mayfield but for Freddie Kitchens. I think they've tried too hard to figure out how to try to get Odell involved. Uh, Baker's held on to the ball too long, and that's a recipe for disaster in the NFL, especially when your uh, line is terrible. The they offense started off hot last week, and then kind of cooled off uh, a lot towards the end. We had a turnover that wound up ending that game. So the Browns will spend their bye week with Baker trying to get healthy and trying to figure out what they're going to do with this offensive line.
2: Well, let's go ahead and go through the league here. We'll put on my homer card. Big game uh, tomorrow against the Colts and the and uh, the Texans, I will be at that game. Going to have a blast and go uh, do a little tailgating and uh, hang out at that, that game. Big win. Always like to see Houston come into town. But, Ed, let, let, let's face it. I mean, I mean, whoever wins this game is going to have a strong control over the um, – over the AFC South, and and, uh, and and no bones about it, I don't think anybody's misjudging this Houston texas team. They're coming in hot, uh, but the Colts are sneaky good. I'm not just saying that because I'll be wearing blue tomorrow, but uh, the the Colts and the Texans at home. What say you, sir?
11: Yeah, yeah the Colts are coming off their bye, and that's always you know a chance to get healthy. I know they had a pretty lengthy injury report heading. Uh, into their last Mm -hmm. game before the bye Um, I don't know how much healthier uh, they've gotten with this extra week off I haven't had a chance to really look at their injury report but you hope that you know so they get some of those guys back I don't know if Noli Cooker's coming back or uh, or not or uh, you know but but just even guys that weren't missing time on the field at least it gives them a chance to kind of rest a little bit longer so that's definitely to the Colts advantage it's a home game and again if you're looking at this as a big game inside the division, you have to hold serve with your home games, kind of like what we talked about with the Cowboys and the Eagles. Um, you know these division games you have to win them at home and try and, and then try to steal one somewhere on the road. Um, you know it's a little easier to steal them in the NFC East against teams like the Redskins. Um, maybe not so much in the AFC South although the Jag, or the Titans don't look so hot the Jags are you know they just traded away their best player. Um, but you're getting a look at the Houston Texans quarterback, Deshaun Watson, who's in the MVP conversation and the team playing with a lot of confidence. Um, and, and it's going to be a great game. I mean, both teams, like you said, it's a big division game, and both teams are looking at it like, hey, we can take control of the division. But if you're the home team, you got to find a way to win that game.
2: Absolutely. And, and Hooker, I believe, is going to be out. He did practice, but they're still saying that it's doubtful. we we got Darius Leonard back, which is a huge uh, – we need to yeah. get him – uh, in there, so I, I tell you what, the Colts are looking forward to that game. I, I, just, I just love going to the games, man. Win or lose, I, I don't <laughs> want to jinx them. Well, I tell you what, the Colts know how to throw a home game. I know you've been there before, and we all say that about our teams, but absolutely. So, and let's uh, let's kind of move on uh, through the NFL here, if we will. And we got the Raiders at the Packers, big game. Uh, Packers again I have to make a statement, and Raiders are coming in hot as well.
11: Uh, yeah, well, you know, the Packers, this is week seven, and the Packers, this will be their fifth home game, which is just crazy that they've been able to fatten up at home here, five and one. You know, of course, that's going to make for a tougher second half. But, um, you know, the Packers have been able to take advantage of their home games, and that's what you want to do. You want to win your home games, and I think that's a big reason why they're sitting five and one. That and maybe, you know, a couple untimely penalties uh, in that game against the Lions last Thursday night. Um but the Raiders are playing well and I you know I gotta tell you I'm surprised at that. I wasn't sure <laughs> well, maybe the game had passed John Gruden by a little bit, but uh you know he's proven uh proven me wrong. So uh you're right, they're playing well, but again, Lambeau Field, very difficult place to uh to win. The Eagles I know won there earlier this year. Um but you, you know, the Packers are very good at Lambeau Field. It's gonna be a tough game I think for the Raiders to come in and, and find a way to win.
2: Well let's talk a little bit about the Packers and the Lions. A big uh, call that the that the the officials got wrong yet again uh, officials are supposed to not be recognized in the game really uh, and I think there's got to be some fixes whether it's the eyes in the sky or it's uh, I mean you know just like coaches are only allowed to sh- flow, sh- throw so many flags I mean maybe we got to get to a point where we got to regulate the regulators but at the same time I think that the, that and and, and, I, and I wish Rick was on here to, to talk with me about this but I think the Lions got screwed in this against the Packers. No?
10: Yeah, I mean, you know, we see it, at uh, it feels like a couple times every year where a team feels like they get screwed with calls, and the NFL comes out and says, oh, yeah, they made a mistake. I don't know how that's supposed to make it feel better. But the problem is, if you start tinkering with the game too much, I think you can change it to where it's unenjoyable to watch. The game moves at such a slow pace right now with all the flags. Every time, you, you know, your team has a big play, you're waiting to see that little uh, you know, yellow box pop up on your TV saying, Where's the, where's the flag going to be on? Because something had to have happened. And the, the, the pace of the game has become almost unbearable, like baseball at this point. There's so many flags being thrown in these games. And then the, how much time it takes for replay. I, and then I'm having to call it wrong. It's, it, it, I, I'm almost disenfranchised uh, from the NFL this year just because of the, the pace of the game is so hard to watch.
2: No, absolutely. And, and, Mo you, you could, I mean, Ed, you could chime in on this as well. Uh, but I mean, yeah. this is getting to be a point where it's beyond fans just saying, Oh, all the refs suck. Well, the refs kind of do suck. Some of them do, some of them don't, but I think that, that, that there's a, there's a lack of understanding of the rules uh, from the fans to the players, to the coaches, uh, to the, to the refs. I mean, I think there's way too many lawyers involved in in establishing the rules less as good as they say, any thoughts on this dilemma yet again, that we have with uh, the refs in the NFL.
11: Well, you know, to me, what bothers me is the the officials have just way too much power and too little accountability. Uh, And I think when you have those two factors, that leads to questions about the integrity of, you know, of their calls and, you know, with gambling really such a big part of the landscape now, it, it makes me wonder if somebody – I know the game is fast and it's hard to see everything, and uh, but they're just making flat-out wrong calls in some situations. And I, and I agree that, uh, you know, the, the Lions really got screwed with those two hands-to-the-face penalties um, that were called uh, against Trey Flowers. Um, it, both wrong calls by the same umpire, Jeff Rice, who uh, had a, just a brutal game. But – uh, to me, you, you know, you begin to wonder, is this kind of an integrity issue with some of these refs? We saw it in the NBA with Tim Donahue, who was uh, caught cheating and gambling on basketball and fixing games so he would win. And you, and you wonder if there's not, you know, and I hate to say it, but you wonder if there's not some of that going on in the NFL. And that's what it's come to, because there's so many flags and it's such a wrong, so many of them are wrong calls um, or confusing calls. And yet there's no accountability. And eventually these bad calls are going to cost a team, maybe the Lions, a playoff spot because they lost that game. And in some cases it might cost coaches their jobs. So, you know, I think there has to be in some cases more accountability. I think refs need to be called out for what they did wrong. They need to be fined. They need to be suspended. They need to be, uh, held accountable, just like players and coaches are in the league. And we don't see that. They hide behind whatever it is that they, uh, that they have because they're, they're, they don't talk after games. Um, you know, to me it's just a joke. And it got so bad for me, Tom and Mo, that I, I was hesitant to watch uh, Thursday night's game with the Chiefs because I didn't want to get so worked up about the officials' calls because that call in Detroit, those calls in Detroit just made me so livid. Uh, that they got them so wrong. And I couldn't care less about either team, to tell you the truth, the Packers or the Lions. But I got so worked Wait. up because of the officiating. So I didn't want to watch Monday's game because of that, or Thursday's game, uh, until Mahomes got hurt. And then I turned it on and started watching it because I wanted to see how they did without Mahomes. So, um, you know, to me, they need to do something. And I don't know. I just think they need to hold them more accountable.
2: You know, and I, I we don't got time to get into the conspiracy theories, but a lot of people you, – you mentioned Tom, Tim Donahue with the, uh, with the NBA. I mean – People are saying, hey, this is what happens when you legalize betting. I don't think this is what happens when you legalize betting, but this is what happens when you legalize betting. We'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, real quickly, real quickly, guys, I want to get your thoughts on this big trade, blockbuster trade. Uh, Ramsey to the Rams from Jaguar. Ed, what say you?
5: Yeah,
11: um, boy, the, I'll tell you, the Rams are really uh, are all in on these. <laughs> on these trades this will be, this will be five years. The Rams will not have a first round pick, you know, because they gave up their one in 2020 and 2021. they haven't had, you know, their previous three number ones. Um, And we'll see how it works out for them. You know, the Rams are a team right now on the, on the cusp, but kind of falling out of that race in the NFC West. So, um, you know, those first round picks are hard to part with. I know the Eagles were in the mix. They didn't want to part with two first round picks. The Rams did. I think it's a pretty steep price to pay. They still don't have him signed to a contract. You hope that they can work something out. I know Ramsey signed for 2020. You could always tag him, but he was unhappy uh, in Jacksonville uh, for a lot of reasons, and that was part of it was he wanted to get paid, and, and we'll see if the Rams pay him. They better find a way to come to an agreement to pay him. Otherwise, trading these two number one picks and a fourth-round pick are going to be you know, look pretty bad.
2: Well, what are your thoughts? Uh, Ramsey goes to the Rams.
10: Yeah, I mean, like that, I thought it was a high price to pay uh, for Jalen Ramsey for a guy who's not signed uh, for a team that's you know in a couple years is going to have I, I think some salary cap issues with guys that they've still got on the books and guys they've got to pay. So, like I said, I mean, they better win now because you've given up uh, you know a lot to get a guy that, that you don't know and, and, and a year and a half will still be playing for you. Uh, so. It's, uh, you know, the it, ball's move. and you like to see teams who are in it, uh, you know, try to take a risk. And like I said, they're a team that felt like they're kind of falling out of it a, a little bit. So, uh, you know, I, I think some of the problems have been more offensive lately than defensive. But uh, a big gamble, and, and it gets Jalen Ramsey for both fans out of the AFC South. So uh, it, it's uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next year and a half with uh, Jalen Ramsey and the Los Angeles Rams.
2: We've got to start to wrap it up, put a bow on it for with our annual thumbs up or thumbs down. We'll stay with the Rams. Thumbs up or thumbs down, Ed. Todd Gurley's career is over in the NFL. Oh, my. I will say
11: uh, thumbs down. I think he can still play a role even with his knees. They can manage him. Um, am I saying that right or would that be thumbs up? I think it's thumbs down. I think his career still has some shelf life left. I think he's active. Uh, for Sunday uh, but they just have to manage him I'm not sure he's going to be the workhorse that everybody thought but I think you know he can still play a vital role especially in the past game for Goff uh, some easy completions and let him kind of try to create in the open space so I'm going to say thumbs down I think he still has uh, shelf life in his career
2: I agree with you there but I don't know how much and I, and I, and I think that he, we're seeing the end i thumbs up thumbs down Todd Gurley out of the
10: NFL I agree with that, thumbs down. I think that, uh, you know, the Rams go to a two-back system like a lot of these teams use, and uh, you you limit uh, his exposure on the field. But like I said 100%, you know, some of his best plays, the longest plays from scrimmage have been these short jump-off passes from Jared Goff to where he's got space to do what he does. I think uh, he's got years left in him, not as the uh, every down back, but uh, you find, you know, one or two guys to – uh share that back there with him and I think fact girly's for, you know, another three or four years.
2: Well we'll we'll see if uh, Sean McVeigh was uh, highly overrated from last year as as time will tell the the story. Ed Kratz, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles, SI.com, our official N F L contributor Where rare can people find your work mess piece of sir. Yeah, uh
11: you can follow me on Twitter at Kratzy K R A C D. I usually tweet out on my links or uh si.com, uh slash N F L slash Eagles and that brings you right to my uh, my page on
2: that site. All right. You have yourself a, a, a good uh, weekend, sir, and good luck there in, in uh, the land of the enemies, if you will.
1: <laughs> enjoy
2: your game. tomorrow. So enjoy your time at uh, Lucas Oil
11: tomorrow.
2: Oh, yeah. without a doubt, I will, sir. <laughs>
11: I'll
2: send you a right, picture. I'll see you. See you, Mom.
11: <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you will. See you, that's right. I won't be. Okay. I
10: see you. All
2: right. Ya. All right. But, Mo, uh, for the BS sports show, where can people find you and your masterpieces, sir?
10: Oh, well, it, uh, it's very starting start my Twitter page, just like the uh, NFL referees, uh, at Mo Radio
2: Show. <laughs> <laughs> right, buddy. Mo, you have yourself a good weekend. We'll see what happens uh, with the, the Colts this weekend. All right, buddy. Go Colts. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right, guys, that's it. we got to call it a day. Uh, we have officially ran out of time. We're a little bit into overtime. So if you lost us on the live feed, you're listening to us on the podcast. Thank you uh, so much. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at T Balance and Facebook, The Balance. Thank you to Melissa for t- taking care of the social media for us today. Uh Ma- uh Matthew Embry, WSBT up in South Bend, joined us to talk some uh Notre Dame football and IndyCar, talk about the new arrow kits, uh arrow screens, I'm sorry, with IndyCar. Tony Donahue, the Tony T podcast. Make sure you check out his podcast. he joining us talking some NASCAR and some college football. Super fan Adam Jividen joining us talking some college football and a little bit of Browns. And then, of course, last segment, Mo from the BS Sports Show and Ed Kratz, official beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles and our official NFL contributor. We'll be we – got to – all right, got to wrap it up and put a bow on it. My name is Tom Marquisele, Presidente. Remember, don't drink and drive. It isn't cool. We'll see you next week right here on the Balance Radio Network.